as we continue in our study and prophecies, as we move through the prophecies given to us through Daniel, I want to back up a little bit just to set the context, and um, I'll just begin at chapter at the uh, beginning of chapter seven. And I'll pick it up in verse 3, about the vision of the four great beasts. Daniel 7, verse 3. And four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked, And it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind was also given to it. And behold, another beast, the second one resembling a bear, and it was raised up on one side and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to it, Arise and devour much meat. After this I kept looking and behold, another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with, with its feet, and it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns." While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up from among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn, and behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and, and a mouth uttering great boasts. I kept looking until the thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was white as snow. His hair and his head was pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. And a river of fire flowing and coming out from before him, thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat. The books were opened. Then Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. There. That shouldn't be too difficult, huh? Now, the primary focus on these prophecies, the prophecies of Daniel, we got extra handouts back there. (laughs) Um, is the coming of the kingdom of God. Now, there's four beasts, and just like in chapter 2, and we're going to look there, the the kingdom is going to come, and this is all focusing on that coming of the kingdom, which is going to take place in what the terminology used in Daniel 2.28 was in the latter days. Okay, let's look there, Daniel 2. Let's back up a couple, reset that. Because again, the prophecies came to Daniel, a series of them, and then they keep building on each other. They keep building and building and giving us more information, more information, more information. (laughs) So 2, we'll read, read 44 through 45. 
And in the days of those kings, the God of heavens will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left to another people. Now, remember the statue, the, the, the vision of the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had, the head of gold, the, you know, the, the arms and chest of silver, and it just kept going in the belly of brass midsection, and then the, the uh, legs of uh, iron and clay. Well, he's looking at this whole thing in one group, one, one, uh, one large as one big entity that's going to get demolished. That the kingdom will not be left, this is the kingdom of God, will, will, not, will crush and put to an end all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Insomuch as you saw that stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king that will take place in the future, so the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. So, again, the vision. All these, these four nations by, in Daniel 2, stated again in Daniel, described again differently in Daniel 7. These are those four nations that held direct sway over Israel as they dwelt in the land. Again, we're going to see, as we saw in Daniel 2, we saw hopefully last week, that there's kind of a gap of space in that fourth creature, that fourth empire. There's always, matter of fact, we're going to see next week, Daniel was pondering, says, and Daniel was even asking, what is it about that fourth empire? Because there's always something different. Um, the first three are mean, nasty, and otherwise contrary, but this fourth one is super big, super powerful, and super terrifying. Okay? And so, but then and the picture here is, by God's kingdom coming in, in one fell swoop, God is going to destroy basically all of those nations and any would-be nation that would hold sway over Israel when the time comes. And that's the time of the end. And we know that as the, uh, the, the very last days, the end of days. We have a lot more stuff to look at than Daniel did. Daniel was getting all this for the first time. There wasn't hardly anything out there compared to what he got. And it's kind of interesting thinking back on reading, Dan, you, you get to chapter 12, and all this stuff is on him, and it's almost like there's a picture of Daniel going, what's going on, you know? And then and, and God says, don't worry about it, Daniel. Just <laughs> go rest. You'll be fine. And, uh, again, it just was, it's mind-boggling what's, what's going on in, in the descriptions here. And then now let's compare Daniel 2 with Daniel 7, 13, and 14. <clears throat> What's that? He was a very special man to God to be able to, to digest all this. Or not digest it, but hear it. Wow. Well, no, Daniel was um, a man that, a matter of fact, um, we were going to be reading that uh, the angel Gabriel. And, you know, Gabriel, we know him, one of the only two named angels we've been we even know their name, Gabriel and Michael, right? Um, when you have somebody like uh, Gabriel coming in there and telling Daniel, Daniel, you are a man highly esteemed. How would you like to hear that? You know, coming from an angel. And that was said to him more than once. So 
And that's, that's quite a testimony to his character. Okay, 7, 13, and 14, we read it, but I want to go back again. <clears throat> he kept looking, okay, he kept looking at this night vision, the one that we just read, and he says, he kept looking at the night vision, behold, with the clouds of heaven, and this will be what we look at next week, but I just want to show you, this is where it's all leading to. Um, the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a, and a kingdom to all these peoples, nations, men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. When, when this kingdom comes in, it will in fact destroy the Gentile nations, destroy the Gentile hold and dominion over Israel. And at the same time, we mentioned it last time, we'll be getting into more depth as we move forward. But that's one of the big things, one of the big deals that's going to happen in that seven-year period we know as the tribulation period. That's going to be a time where God is going to be calling Israel back back to himself, be purging Israel as a nation, and then at the end of that seven-year period comes that millennial reign where they will, in fact, have their kingdom, where uh, things like the Abrahamic covenant will be fulfilled, the Davidic covenant will be fulfilled, they will, in fact, be in their land. So, well, I thought it was going to last forever. What's a thousand years? Well, that thousand-year reign is the first thousand years of that kingdom that will last forever. Okay? That's when the thousand years is over, that isn't the end of it. Okay? That's just the first thousand years of that kingdom that lasts forever. All right. Now, 7, 9 to 10. Back to, we're going to look at the, the heavenly, it's the, the coming eternal kingdom. This is the heavenly courtroom. And that's, it actually looks like that. Verses uh, back to 7, 9 through 10, 9 and 10, is like the trial. There's going to be a, there's a trial that's going, to be, that's going to be set in heaven. I kept looking until the thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and his hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat... And the books were opened. Okay, we'll just stop right there. The judge, again, now takes his seat. The Ancient of Days, again, that's a term referring to the majesty and the wisdom of the eternal God. Let's look at Psalm 93. Psalm 93. The Ancient of Days, it's... Uh, I really like that term. You know, it just, it just, it just, it just speaks of much wisdom, doesn't it? The ancient of days and wisdom and authority. It just, it just brings that. It just puts that out there. Uh, Psalm ninety-three: The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded himself with strength. Indeed, the the world is firmly established, and it will not be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves more than the sounds of many waters. 
than the mighty breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your testimonies are fully confirmed. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forever. And that's it. And the Ancient of Days is going to sit there over that house. And right now, trial is set. And the again, the, the term Ancient of Days is, is only found in Daniel 7, 9, 13, and 22. It, in this chapter 7. Now, when he took his seat, again, took his seat for the purpose of passing judgment. The thrones, where it talks about the, the multiple of thrones there. It says the thrones, or a plurality of thrones, were set up. Um, however, no one is identified who may have sat on those thrones. It's just interesting. Perhaps witnesses? We're not sure what that means, but we know he's not alone up there. And um, his clothing was white as snow, his hair like pure wool. That, ref- that refers to the, the purity and holiness of God. And when you look at the attributes of God, you know, they're all of, of extreme importance. And we know God, quite frankly, by his attributes. And his attributes are, are spelled out in Scripture. But if there was one attribute that kind of like overshadowed all of them, was kind of like, the, if you want, the crown jewel of all the attributes, I think it would be his holiness. It's that, that's that attribute that just describes God and everything he does. Even things that mankind might look on, like another, an attribute of God is the attribute of wrath. There's one that's not preached too often. Okay? Holiness. We understand wrath through holiness. Uh, a holy God has to execute wrath and judgment against sin. See, but holiness, that over, overshadowing attribute. And, that's, and here we see a holy God passing judgment on the world, quite frankly, on the world. Let's look at Isaiah 118. Isaiah 118. Just for comparison, say again, a holy, righteous God that, you know, in, in quite right, in reality, and that's, and that's, when you look at the holiness of God and his attitude towards sin, um, how magnificent is his grace? Think about it. I mean, by rights, one sin committed by one person, if he just ruled everything by straight holiness, would justify the wiping out of mankind. Well, I didn't sin. Doesn't matter. You were tainted by it. Gone. If holiness was it. Okay? So, but look at uh, Isaiah 118. And if you're familiar with Isaiah chapter 1 at all, there's a very bleak picture painted here as to the uh, uh, morality in Israel. Uh, as a matter of fact, let me, uh, let's back up. Look at verse 11 of chapter 1. He's, but he goes, What are your multiplied sacrifices, me, saith the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of, 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 of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. 
Why does he say that? Because the nation was in sin and their religion was mere formality. It meant nothing. But then look at verse 18. Look at verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Again, that same illustration, the uh, white is wool for purity. And that shows, too, by the grace of God, every one of his people that believe, that includes all of us that believe, you know, we are, we stand before God cleansed white as snow because of him. That's the magnificent grace of God, you know. And um, Mark 9, Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Nine three says, "This is on the Mount of Transfiguration." <laughs> Remember that that account where he, he went up on the mountain, and the uh, and you know with uh, Peter, James, John, and did Andrew make it up there with him? Was there four of them up there or three? Three, just Peter, James, and John. And so, and his garments became radiant and exceedingly white. As no launderer on earth can make them clean. There's, I mean, <laughs> no, there's no scrubbing bubbles in this world that can make the, that laundry as white as just the radiance of the glory of God shining through them. Okay, magnificent picture there. And then Revelation chapter 3. But again, it, it's this whole the description here of using just pure, shining bright white okay, this is one of them this is to the message to the church at Sardis but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy he who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Okay? So again, <laughs> that replies to every believer. And again, they'll be wearing white, the white, that symbolic of purity. And then, back in, in uh, Daniel 7, fire. Now, fire has... Um, a number of uh, significance uh, it symbolizes a, a few things, and the context where it's used will, will let you know what it is. Fire often um, is associated with God as a sign of majesty, authority, uh, also judgment. It's also in, used in terms for purification. In examples now, is, let's look at Exodus three two, Exodus three two. Be bouncing around a lot today to get a good background on this. You're going to learn where those books are today, if nothing else, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Exodus 3 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. May blazing fire. Again, 
the Lord speaks, the Lord comes, he speaks. And what's, what's the picture used here? A blazing fire in a bush that's not being consumed. That's just, again, the, the glory and the, the authority of the Lord just being manifested to Moses. You know, there's a lot of neat things out there that we're just, I hope they took movies, you know. I'll tell you, can you imagine that? And if they had a movie night in heaven from all this stuff? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Deuteronomy 4.24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Here again, consuming fire, a jealous God. And that's again, the, that's just one of the many, many warnings given to Israel over the years. Like, mind your steps, watch yourselves. God is a consuming fire, and he will not hesitate bringing down judgment. And we see that that's the story of Israel. As a matter of fact, I'm sure they don't understand it right now, and we'll see that in future lessons. As we meet here today, Israel is still under the judgment of God. Still under. They're still dominated by the nations around them, the nations in the world. Okay? Humanly speaking, humanly speaking, if it weren't for the U.S., they'd have been taken out years ago, humanly speaking. All right? And I think that's one of the uh, <clears throat> blessings that in our nation is that God has, is using this nation to preserve Israel. Okay, Psalm 97. He's used other nations in the past as well, but us right now, I think, as much as anybody. Psalm 97, verses 1, 2, and 3. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. Cloud and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries round about. See, I mean, it's just, it's just it, it, God, again, is a consuming fire. When it comes to fire, and this is what we're looking at in the trial. This is a, uh, the fire here is, uh, speaks of the judgment of God. Uh, Isaiah 66, uh, 15 and 16 say, <clears throat> For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like whirlwind, to render his anger with fury, and his rebuke with flames of fire. For the Lord will execute judgment by fire, and by his sword on all flesh, and, and those slain by the Lord will be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves go to the, go to the gardens, falling one to the center to eat swine's flesh, this, 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 this test, detestable things, and, and mice. That's wonderful. Hey, some come to an end altogether, declares the Lord. I went a little too far on that one. But anywhere, yeah, when he comes, he's coming in judgment, fire, as a matter of fact, we know from Peter that the ultimate end to this earth that we're on, it's going to be consumed by fire, and then the Lord will bring in the new heaven, new earth, and all is better. But it will be burnt up, 
cleaned up and made new. Now, again, the wheels, it says in Daniel 7, the wheels were burning fire and possibly uh, refers to um, the swiftness of the judgment. And the river of fire, I think it's uh, symbolic of God's judgment just being poured out. It's kind of like a river running. You're just going to pour and overwhelm. Just take it out. And that's really how it's going to be. Now, where it says uh, back in Daniel 7, 10, where it says myriads upon myriads were standing before him. You know, thousands upon thousands and myriads upon myriads. Okay, what's that all about? Probably refers, most likely refers to an, an innumerable amount of angels who serve and worship him. All right? Matter of fact, we get a picture of that. Look at Revelation 5. We got a picture of those angels. I, well, at least I believe these are what's being referred to in Daniel. In Revelation 5. <clears throat> Eleven and twelve. It says, And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor glory and blessings and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them i <clears throat> i heard them saying and they just kept going uh but again that those myriads upon myriads most likely those are the angels that are there constantly surrounding the throne of god and you notice they're <clears throat> they're not singing they're saying and <clears throat> And they're saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Remember, you go back into Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah's got the, the, the vision of heaven. And they were saying back and forth, holy, holy, holy. Just back and forth, the angels, the seraphim up there, just almost, I don't want to say chanting. They were just make declaration, just declaring, holy, holy, holy. And here, uh, worthy is the lamb, okay, and again, it just it's an amazing scene. And then back to Daniel 7 where it says, The court sat and the books were opened. That's another way of saying, Hear ye, hear ye, the court is now in, is, is now in session. It's on. Okay, the court is in session. And then it says, The books were opened. That's going to be... That term, the books were open. Can you think of another time that that's used in Scripture? Revelation twenty, the great white throne. Okay, the scene here is the the millennial reign is done and he goes and I saw a great white throne and him that sat upon it and from whose presence the earth and heaven fled away and no place 
was found for them. And I saw the dead and the great and the small standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from these things, which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And again, there is judgment that's coming. The judgment is sure, and the judgment will happen. Now, we see it back, again, back into Daniel. Daniel 7 8 says, While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up from among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great things. And I'll move forward to 11. And he goes, And then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. We talked about that last week. Remember who this little horn represents? The Antichrist that will rise up in the tribulation period. It's the Antichrist. You know, I like to call him the little horn with the big mouth. You know, he's just a little horn. He rises up, got a lot to say. And you can look at Revelation 19 where he is cast into the lake of fire, which burns forever and ever. So that's his fate. And it's, uh, again, I just like to point that out again, the, the consistency of Scripture, Old Testament to New Testament, and even when it gets right down to individuals that are identified, that it's, that's what's going to happen. Again, this judgment will take place at the close of the tribulation. Um, the judgment here on this guy, not the great white throne, but the judgment talked about in Daniel. Let's look at Matthew 13. Matthew 13. And Can I ask you yes. Can you clarify just briefly that last statement? The great white throne is. Um, the great white throne judgment when the dead that aren't in Christ, the unbelieving dead of the ages, are going to be brought to the throne. Resurrected, brought, to, brought before God, condemned to an eternity in the great and the lake of fire. That, those are the ones that uh, gone through the... Those are everybody from Cain all the way through. All the way through. All the unsaved dead are going to stand before God and be put into the lake of fire. That happens at the great white throne. Christians are not at the great white throne. Okay, Christians are not at it, the great white throne. Right, another one. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if these are actual books. <laughs> it's hard to say. It, it wouldn't surprise me if they were, in a sense, just, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, emails? I don't know. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, God is, uh, I think, going to be kinder than that. Remember, the Bamacy judgment for the believers is a, is a judgment for rewards. 
Think of the Olympics when they're standing on their gold, silver, bronze. You know, that's the judgment that believers are going to get. Jesus paid the price for the believer's sin. And that goes from, from Abel all the way through. All those that believe, Christ paid that price. There is no price. If, uh, so there's no way a true believer is going to be judged for anything because Jesus paid it all. Scripture's clear on that. Okay, it's, it's, a, it's a Greek word, behemoth, and it's the, it's the throne where, picture, uh, you ever see the movie Ben-Hur? No. Oh. You're the, you're the one. Okay. <laughs> well, what they did is when they had a, a, like the big chariot race, right? At the end of the chariot race, he was the winner. He walked up, to, and then the, the governor was there, and they had the little crown, a victor's crown, and that was placed on his head, and he was presented as the winner. Okay, that is that judgment seat. He's judged to be the winner. Okay, so um, with believers, we're judged. You can see it in First Corinthians, where um, when we're judged, our works will be judged whether they're, you know, gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, or straw. Okay, the wood, hay, or straw is going to be burned up, um, but the person themselves will not be. <laughs> Okay, and then we're, we're given rewards according to what we have done in our Christian walk. Okay, and that's the difference. We're judged for how many rewards are we deserving of or have we earned. That's, that's ours. Is what, have we, what have we earned in behalf of, of our service to God, service to Christ? The totally opposite, it, it, but their works, uh, and there's, let's face it, there's one work that is going to consign a person to hell, and that's rejecting the gospel, rejecting Christ. Now, but they too will be by works, and this is a whole different topic, and we can get into it because it's actually technically an eschatological topic about the future of people. Um, it may be worth going into along the line about, okay, um, many believe, and I'm one of those, that there are levels of eternal judgment. Was that? Is that where the Mormons get the, the levels they get to go to? Oh, no, no, that's something else. They, <laughs> Lord knows where they get their stuff. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's all, yeah, that's a whole different thing with them. I'm, yeah, I'm talking in terms of judgment. Um, it, it's pretty clear, and there's scriptures that I think make it pretty clear that uh, some people, of the unsaved are going to be judged more severely than others because they've done so many despicable things. And it, it, we'll have to get into that. We move down the road. We'll have to just get into that because it's, it's, it's worth knowing because there's a lot of confusion about that <laughs> apart from the Mormons. <laughs> I mean, there's just, there's just, it's just everywhere. It's, and it's, it's understandable. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. And it's, and if you get the judgment of the, saved and the unsaved you get them all mixed up and i've heard it taught that way all mixed up and you you go out you know you go home and you know you're just sitting in the room reciting the hebrew alphabet okay somebody i just one more thought on, on that um, 
offhand, I can't think of it. But we will be account every idle word as a, and then again, that's wood, hay, and stubble. That takes that takes away. So um, anyway, Matthew thirteen thirty seven. Jesus is speaking, and he answered and said to them, the one who sows the good seed, and this is the, uh, the explanation of the wheat and the tares uh, parable, <clears throat> the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world, and as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the uh, tares are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. And in that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, he who has ears, let him hear. And then we move forward to verse 47. Again, parables about the kingdom. Here's the dragnet. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. It's a big fishing net, okay? Uh, it's cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. When it was filled, they drew it upon the beach, and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad fish they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. Okay, we'll take their word for it. Bless their hearts. Matthew 25. <laughs> another another passage, the... <coughs> excuse me. All the passage of what's called the Olivet Discourse. We'll probably be looking at this more as well in the future. Again, the judgment, the close of the tribulation. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I'm actually over the cold, it's just the crud moving around. You know, enjoy your potluck. No, I'm just... <laughs> That's all right. We're good. All right. Now, again, when you, when you see this term, and we're going we're gonna to look at it more next week, too. The Son of Man. Remember in Daniel 7, one like the Son of Man? When you hear Jesus especially referring to himself as the Son of Man, think Daniel 7. Same person. Okay, just think Daniel 7. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one to another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say, oh, you see that? See that change of the king? Okay, the Son of Man, also known as the king, okay? Then the king will say to those in his right, 
Come who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And it goes on to describe, for when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And when I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And when I was a stranger, you invited me in. Naked, you clothed me. And when I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. I'm not going to continue. And it goes on. Just the opposite is true of the unbelievers. They didn't do any of these nice things. And the point is here, again, in the trip, one of the marks of believers in the tribulation period, believers will go to the aid of other believers. When they were hungry, you fed me, you took me in. See, without fear. This is going to be a t- very time of, a time of heavy-duty persecution of believers. Heavy-duty persecution. Those that spread the gospel will be marked for execution. P- pure and simple. And it's going to be... It's going to be like that as bad as any time in human history. But they will survive. And again, and those that are too afraid to step forward and help those out there, that's a sign that they are not true believers. I mean, it's one of those times where, they, you know, hiding in the basement doesn't, isn't going to work. Isn't going to get by. It's not going to, that's, that one's not going to fly. And then let's look at Revelation 19. Revelation 19. Verse 19 through 21. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse and against his army. Not a Phi Beta Kappa move there. Not, 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 not wise at all. No, no, it, they're... You should have gone to the beach that day. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophets who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his, his image. And the two of these were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. The Lord didn't even wait for the great white throne for them. Bye. You're gone. Um... And the rest were killed with a sword which came from the mouth of him who sat upon his horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. That, that is the second coming. And I, I remember back in my prison ministry days, people said, what about the, what about the second coming? I said, hey, you know, the second coming is if he's if he's not coming for you, for the church, anyway, from the church age perspective, if he's coming for you, the church will be raptured out before this stuff happens. But if he's not coming for you, he, he is then coming after you. And there's no place you can go, and there's no place that anyone can hide. And then back to Daniel 7. Hopefully it will all make sense. The beast was slain. Again, that refers to that fourth beast described. Uh, Daniel seven seventy eight, where 
Let me get back. Let me read the context set up again. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words, which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to them in burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. Now, the beast was slain, verse 11, again, points to that fourth beast again, that fourth beast which we're going to see again next time, which is that final form of what we know as that fourth empire, the Roman Empire. It kind of comes back in a sense. It, like it rises up again. It uh, is probably not going to be called the Roman Empire. We don't know. Uh, maybe a European Union. Who knows? We don't know what it's going to be called, but it's going to rise up and uh, thrive again. And... Um, the rest of the beasts refers to the other three described in verse 4 through 6. They're, they're gone too, but it says to them, an extension of life was granted. Okay, now what's that to them? As for the rest of the beasts, verse 12, this, uh, uh, it was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. Well, various aspects of all previous cultures existed in the Roman Empire. They took a little from all of them, and a whole bunch from the Grecian Empire. Okay, that's the one that really had the most influence. But that's not... So, within the Roman Empire, vestiges of Babylon, vestiges of even the Medo-Persian Empire, and a whole lot of the Greek culture was incorporated into the Roman Empire. This isn't going to be the case when God comes in and destroys the whole shooting match. Because there will be no vestiges of human philosophy, human thinking, human understanding. This will be God's kingdom based upon God's will and God's way of thinking about things. Okay, so mankind will have nothing to do with formulating or influencing the kingdom of God. Um, and that's going to be, and, and this will be, that will be the case, the ultimate demise of that fourth beast. That one's totally destroyed. The other ones, like I say, some of their portions of their culture and even some of their people survived and moved on into the next kingdom. But uh, not so. The final kingdom, the kingdom of the Antichrist, remember, you've probably at least heard the story, but those that bought into the kingdom took the mark of the beast, etc., etc. Gone. None of that, none of those that bought into that, again, to buy into the uh, empire of the beast in that last uh, form of the kingdom is to reject the gospel. See, there's, there's, no, there's not two, three ways to go. You know, we, we can, um, you can't have it both ways. You know, nowadays, hey, we can be citizens and patriotic citizens of America and go to heaven. You're not going to be a patriotic citizen of the empire of the beast and make it because to be an empire of the beast requires you worship the beast. And, and that, that doesn't fly in God's law. See, that doesn't fly. So it's a whole different scenario, whole different scenario. And matter of fact, uh, in Daniel 7, 26 to 27, we'll end with that. 
But the court will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. That's that final form again of the empire. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one, and his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. Period. End of discussion. No exceptions. No exceptions. And that's, that is the law of the land. The law of the land is requirement for all, all true citizen heavens are true worshipers of God. Plain and simple. Nothing else, nobody else, just worshipers of God. So let's uh, close. Heavenly Father, again, Lord, we, we thank you, Lord, for your grace. The grace that calls us into your kingdom. And Lord, we're just so thankful that you did that. And Lord, we just we give you all honor and glory for it. For we know it wasn't by any great thing we have done, but purely from your grace. And again, Lord, we give you honor and glory for that in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.